You all know Rob Welch. He's uh, been here before. He's the president of For His Glory Ministry, and they are a worldwide missions organization. And uh, Rob, I'm sure we'll share a little bit about their work, but he'll also share with us today about what God has put on his heart. So let's get a warm, warm welcome to Rob Welch. As I call him, the man. Don't set the bar too high. <laughs> it's good to see you. Um, it's good to be back. Uh, before I start, I'd like to pray. Uh, because if the Lord doesn't speak through me, I really have nothing to say to you today. So, So let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you that you are the King of glory. Lord, there is none like you. You are exalted in the heavens. Your glory, Lord, cannot be contained. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus. I thank you, Father, that you have called us. Lord, you've called us out of the darkness into your glorious light. You've called us out of the depths of sin and death and despair and hopelessness and made us alive in Christ. I thank you, Father, for you are the giver of every good gift. It all comes from your hand. And I thank you, Father, that you have sent your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for all that you have done on our behalf. I thank you for coming. I thank you for living a sinless life. I thank you for dying on a cross for us, Lord. Taking the wrath of God that we might be set free. That we might become sons and rising victorious from the dead. I thank you for the resurrection that you are alive. And Lord, I ask today that you continue speaking to your people. Lord, you've been speaking to them. Continue to speak to them through me, Lord. Let me just be your vessel, but speak, Lord Jesus. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your word. We want to hear your will. We want to do your work, Lord, for you alone are worthy. So, Lord, we ask that you open our hearts. Lord, give us hearts to receive. We ask, Lord, that you open our minds. We ask, Lord, that you open our ears. And we ask, Lord, that you'd open our lives fully to you. Let your will be done in our lives. 
Let your will be done in our families. Let your will be done in our churches and in your church, Lord. Let your kingdom come. Lord, we long for your kingdom. We long to do your work. We long for the day when we see you face to face. We long for the day when we hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we long for that. We long for the day of Your second coming when the dead will rise and those of us who are alive will meet You in the air. We long for the coming of the kingdom and we pray, Father, that You'd usher in the kingdom in this place. We pray, Father, that You'd pour out the Spirit, the Spirit of the living God in this place. We pray, Father, that You'd send out workers in this place, that you give visions and dreams, that You'd call Your men, Your women, and Your children, and raise up Your army in this place to send out workers and launch a movement that will impact America, that will impact the nations, that will impact the world for Christ. Oh Lord, raise up and send out workers from this room. Call them even now, even today, to your service and equip them and clothe them, Lord, with power from on high. So, Lord, we come to you today knowing that you are the all-sufficient God and knowing we are completely Dependent on Your grace, on Your mercy, and on the abiding presence of Your Holy Spirit. So speak to us now, Father, I pray. Use me now, Lord. Don't let me get in the way. Don't let the flesh get in the way. But speak Your words to Your people. And let us receive. And let us bear fruit, Lord. A hundredfold or more. Use us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, it's uh, good to be with you here today. Glad my fil- my friend Will was, was up before me. I'm sorry I missed most of his message. I- this came in at the very end. He's a dear friend and brother and a mighty man of God. So it's a joy to to be with you, and it's always a privilege to be in your church. I've been here a few times now, and every time I've been blessed. really believe there's a heart for God here, and that that is a blessing to me, and I'm glad I can serve uh, today. Sorry, my family can't be here. My wife is with my kids. My little guy's in bed uh, taking his afternoon nap. That's what you get when you're about two. So that's about the only quiet time of the day for us when David is sleeping. You got to watch people named David. You probably already know that. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's my joy to be here with you.
let me just give you a little bit of background about me, and then we'll we'll dive into the Word. Uh, God, uh, some of you know this, many of you may already know this, the Lord called me out of the business world. Uh, surrendered to his call, it's 14, it'll be 14 years ago this year, almost 14 years ago now. And when I surrendered to his call, I had no idea what he had in store for me. I had no idea what it looked like. I just knew God had called me and I'd run out of excuses. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, I know God has a calling on my life, but I keep putting it off. I hope you won't leave this room putting it off. If God has a call on your life, the best thing you can do is just surrender and trust him with it. Don't fight against him. You will never win when fighting with God Almighty. Even when Jacob looked like he won, God put his hip out of place. So um, don't try it. You won't win. If God has a call, just surrender to his call. The Lord called me, and then uh, a little over a year later, I left the business world, sold all my stuff, went back to school, and got my master's degree in missions. And while I was uh, finishing up at Wheaton, I was was at a prison in Florida, and while preaching there, there was a a work camp chapel, and there were about 80 in the room, and I was preaching on John chapter 14. And when when I gave the call to receive Christ, it was like the room came forward. There were 44 of the 80 people there came forward, and they were they were ready to surrender, and they gave their hearts to Christ. It was just really powerful. Over the next couple of days, I really saw God moving in power. I realized His hand was on me. And he was using me, and I and I recognize this is what God has for me, to go and to preach the gospel, to advance the kingdom of God. And that was March of 2004 when the Lord made that really clear to me. And since that time, I've been pursuing his calling, and I'm seeing the Lord really do some incredible things. Some of you have heard me uh, share before, we do a lot of international ministry, and I know Will does as well. And... Uh, we are seeing just ripe harvest fields. We live in very exciting days. It's a very exciting time to be a believer. Don't just look at the news. Don't just look at what CNN says or Fox says or NBC says or CBS or ABC or whatever whatever station you watch or, or whatever you look to online. Don't just look at that. Don't just look at the headlines. Don't just focus on what ISIS is doing. Focus on what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing because the media is not going to report the movement of God that is taking place around the world right now. The media is just not going to report that. They're not going to tell you that in India there's an awakening like never before in history that started, I would say, around the year 2000. There is such an awakening in India. There are so many turning to Christ. That that Hindu nation, for the longest time, so many are turning to Christ. So many miracles. So many people delivered from demons. So many people healed. So many people saved. Uh, In the... Let me share a, briefly just to give you a little background um, on what's going on in India. I was in Bihar, uh, North India, and uh, this is an area that's got over 100 million people. And for the longest time, it was called the Graveyard of Missions because whenever missionaries went there, nothing happened. All they did was build a church building, and that was left as kind of memory of them being there. But they weren't really seeing any converts, and uh, and so they they 
minister there and just didn't seem like anything happened. But about 10 years ago, after I know uh, deep uh, prayer and seeking God, there was a shift in the atmosphere spiritually, and the place that once was closed just became so ripe to the gospel, and there's just a movement of God going on there right now in Bihar. Uh, half the villages had been unreached, over 20,000 villages not yet reached with the gospel in that state alone. And uh, and people are turning to the Lord. God is working miraculously, and the two times we ministered there, we probably saw... 85% of the people respond. It's just incredibly ripe, and people are ready for Christ there. So so God is just doing a movement in India, and it's just it's impacting the nation. You're going to see it more and more in the years to come, and in the next uh, couple decades, you're going to notice that. It's really happening right now in India. And there's there's transformation going on throughout the world. God is at work. And I my assignment today, I want to make sure I get this right, is uh, is out of a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to start with that, and then I'm going to shift over to another passage in the Gospels. Uh, but I, I want to give you just a, a real brief background. Some of you know this chapter really well. Paul is preaching the resurrection. He is preaching the heart of the Christian faith. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are fools to follow him. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we have no message to tell anyone. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, let's eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the things that are going on in the world would overwhelm me because I would be saying, how could all these things be happening? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you and I wouldn't be here today. There would be no movement that's called Christianity. There would be no lives transformed by the power of the gospel. And Paul is addressing this to the church in Corinth that have questions. There are false teachers that are out there that are teaching heresy. And Paul wants to give them full assurance of the, rec the resurrection, the cornerstone of our faith. So he goes through that. Read that chapter. Read that chapter and be encouraged. Read that chapter and be encouraged when someone you love dies. Read that chapter and be encouraged when you see lives being transformed. Read that chapter and be encouraged when you see what's happening in the world around you and in your church. Realize Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead. He is risen and He's destroyed the works of the devil. And so we see this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start just a little bit before my verse. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 
at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Brothers and sisters, the church in Corinth was a mess. It was an absolute mess. God was doing great things in the church. But read through the epistle, it was a mess. There were a lot of issues in the church. Paul continually, you look at his letters to the early churches that he planted. Or that he had a relationship with. And you see, the church of God was a mess. And so Paul is giving instructions and and he's encouraging them and and, and the, the people of God. The people of God would also also get discouraged. You look at 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 the epistles, and you see the continual theme of encouraging the church to press on with their mission. Encouraging the church to expect suffering, to expect trials, to expect that there would be hard times, to expect that there would be issues. You look here in America, the church is a mess. I'm not directing this at your church. I'm not picking one church out over another. But if you look in America, the church as a whole in America is a mess. Why do I say that? Yes. That's true. That's a good answer. Because it is. But look at the culture. Look at our culture. Look at the direction of our culture and look at the relevancy of the church to people who are not believers. 
Look at how in many of our churches, most of the people are well over 40. You know, I was at a thing uh, just a, a few days ago, a couple days ago, and I was the second youngest person in the room, I think, and I'm 41. And the youngest is 37. And this was at a, let me give you a context, this was for a, an outreach planning meeting. And so the youngest person in the room was 37. I'm the second youngest at 41. And the majority in the room were probably over 60. It tells me we're not reaching the next generation. I'm not saying any of this to discourage you. I'm just saying we can relate with having problems in the church here in America. We can relate to having confusion in the church here in America. Corinth had all sorts of things they were dealing with, but Paul lays out the heart of the gospel here in the resurrection. And he's telling them, that Christ has triumphed. We have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to remember that when we see what's happening around us. Because our natural tendency in the flesh is to look around and see and to realize in the flesh everything is overwhelming. Everything is beyond what we can handle. We look at it and we say, how can this change? Who will bring change. We look we look at ourselves and 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 we we find ourselves lacking in and of ourselves and we say I who am I to make a difference? How can I handle it going against the tide of our culture, of the media, of the government, of everything that's opposed to God in this culture in this nation? It's very easy to get discouraged. It's very easy to want to give up. And that's what the devil is seeking to do. If he can't have your salvation, he wants to have your effectiveness for the kingdom. And so Paul, after laying out the resurrection and what we have in the resurrection and what we have to look forward to and the fact that we're forever going to be with the Lord, that we're going to be raised imperishable, then he gets into this reality. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, he's telling them how to live now, be steadfast, immovable, they have to stand firm against the culture, against the Roman Empire who is killing believers. They have to stand firm against the pagan background where people would do whatever they can to reject the gospel. They have to be immovable. They have to be steadfast. They have to persevere. It's critical. If you want to do a work for the kingdom, you have to be steadfast. You have to be immovable. Why do I say that? Because there will be trials. You will be tested. You will be stretched. You will suffer for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will deal with disappointments. 
you will deal with situations beyond your control and beyond your natural capacity. You will be wondering, why, God, did you choose me? At least you will if you're anything like me. There are times where the work just seems too great. Where the calling seems too great. Where my own inadequacies seem too great. Looking at your own lives, I, I know many of you have, have had similar thoughts. And we need to remember that to have the victory... We have to be steadfast and movable. You know, we need to remember it's not how we start the race, but how we finish. Some of us started the race really bad. But we can finish with great victory. The believers need to remember that they need to be steadfast and immovable because the world, the flesh, and the devil are against living a life that pleases the Lord. The world, the flesh, and the devil are against the work of God. It's so clear that, that we need to stand because God is calling us to stand. God is calling us to be His witnesses. God is calling us to be His heralds. God is calling us to go and show the love of Christ. He's calling us to do these things. And we must persevere. Let me share a little with you what's going on in St. Louis County Jail. I'm ministering there on Tuesdays, and I'm ministering on the seventh floor. And the people on the seventh floor are there for really serious stuff. Murder, armed robbery, sex cases. They're in there for serious stuff. None of them are in there for jaywalking. None of them are on the seventh floor front paid parking tickets. They're in there for serious things. And for the last uh, about six years now, I've been ministering there. And for the last six months, I've been really seeing a transformation taking place. God is moving on the seventh floor, and God is using guys that are in there waiting for trial to preach the gospel. I'm up there as the facilitator, and we got three other guys that preached on Tuesday. And God is using them, and He's raising them up in their prayer circles and their Bible studies. And the guys that have been transformed by Christ in that jail are ministers of the gospel. They're reaching people. Every week there are people coming to Christ. Uh, God is at work. He's moving. And one of the key things that I'm encouraging the guys on, they need to be steadfast. They need to be immovable because they've got opposition to the gospel in there. There's opposition to the gospel in Bihar, North India, where I've ministered. Some of the people there that go out and share the gospel end up getting killed for their faith. Many get run out of towns. Many get cast out of their families. Many are threatened continuously for the sake of the gospel. They're dealing with continual warfare. As we minister, we deal with continual warfare. I'll share our last mission 
uh, to Kisi, Kenya, we had just one attack after another. It rained every day. So that's a real problem when you got open air meetings and it's raining. So we're dealing with that. The lead singer, who everybody was expecting, never showed up, even though we paid her. We had people backbiting, stuff going back and forth, carnality in the church, all sorts of things happening. And the last night, let me just share share this with you. Last night, I'm preaching. It was the biggest crowd we had, close to 50,000 people. And I'm preaching on the parable of the prodigal son. And as I'm preaching, it starts raining in the middle of the message. So I'm thinking, this isn't good, so I'm speeding up the message. I'm flying through the prodigal son. It's like you you went with the TV and you, you just did the fast forward. Man, I am going through it. Like, I hope they're getting this. It's a gospel, but it's in a fire hose right now because the torrential downpour is coming. It was looking like another day of Noah out there. And so... I'm finishing up, and I'm about to give a call, and then the heavens open, brothers and sisters. I mean, they just open, and it poured, and it poured, and it poured, and everybody ran for cover. Everybody but two people. Me? An unfortunate man who was my translator because I had had enough. I had had enough of the devil, and I said in my spirit, Satan, I will not be moved. Satan, you will not intimidate me. Satan, you will not have the victory. You have been warring against the people of Kesey. You've been warring against the kingdom of God. You will not have the victory because I am a son of the kingdom, and you will not move me. I don't care if you strike me with lightning. I don't care what you do. I will not be moved. I didn't say any of that out loud. (laughs) But I said it in my spirit. I was not going to let Satan have the victory, and I was not going to go hide under some tent so I could stay dry. And so for 40 minutes it rained, and Ken and I were out in the rain, and that poor man is much thinner than I am. And afterwards, he was cold and sick, so I wished I had a beefier translator at that particular moment. Uh, poor Ken. Great evangelist. But you know what happened after the 40 minutes of downpour? The sky cleared. The singer came out, sang a song. The people came back out. And then I shared the gospel again. This time, one verse. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And as I was saying John 3.16, about 3,000 people started leaving for the exit of the stadium. And as I'm saying that, I'm discouraged because these people were hard like here, guys. They were carnal. They were secular. They were entertainment-driven. They were distracted. They were pursuing wealth. This is an entrepreneurial area in, in Kenya. It's different than the rest of what I've seen in Africa. But it was so like here. And here I am. I'm wondering, Lord, will they even respond? Do I even give a call? 
but I persevered. And when I gave the call, and we had not had a, a big response the whole time, and this was the end of the last night. It's our fifth day there. And when I gave the call, this sea of hands went up, probably four-fifths of the people there raised their hands to receive Christ. It was this overwhelming breakthrough at the very end. But I had to be steadfast and I had to be immovable or I wasn't going to see the glory of God. God brought the breakthrough at the very end, but we had to keep persevering through the trials. I didn't even tell you the sound system went out three times while I was preaching. That same message. And if you ever had to start a message four times, it's hard. You can ask David or any of us that have preached, but you're getting in a flow and then the power goes out. So, so we dealt with one thing after another after another. But we see the victory when we're steadfast, when we're immovable, when we're not going to be shaken by circumstances, where we're not going to be shaken by suffering, where we're not going to be discouraged by doubts. The word continues, always abounding in the work of the Lord. See, Paul continually, through every trial, through being shipwrecked, for being stoned, through being beaten with rods, for being whipped five times, 39 lashes, and danger everywhere he went, through all of that, he abounded in the work of the Lord. He knew that he had to continue the mission that God had given him. He knew that even when he was despairing of life, that he couldn't give up. He knew no matter what it looked like, or who was after him, and he had a whole posse after him continuously. They hunted that man. And yet he continued pressing on towards the goal. Always abounding, overflowing in the work of the Lord. That's what we're called to do. We're called by the Lord to do this. God wants us to do this because He wants to use us to change the world. God wants to take you and me, ordinary people, without credentials, without any business calling ourselves a minister of the gospel from a human standpoint. He wants to use the lowly, the humble, and He wants to use us as the ones that He takes and He sends out and He uses to transform the world. Always abound in the work of the Lord. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged just because you're going through a hard season. Some of us are in these dark seasons where we just can't see through the tunnel. I, I just got out of that here actually at this church on October 5th of last year. When I was with you then, most of you are probably there. God did a work in me I'd, almost two years. Just 
just dark tunnel and just internal conflict and issues. You know, me and Emily have just been going through things. The enemy just been going after us. The ministry have been dealing with one trial after another, people leaving, people disappointing, lack of money, uh, all sorts of attacks. Just continuously, as our ministry expanded, it's just, it's like Satan's barrage of fiery darts just, just multiplied. And I was just feeling completely overwhelmed. And I had about 20 months of that. And here in this church, the Lord just brought me out of the tunnel. He did a work in my heart and just set me free. Some of you are struggling with something like that. It it, it might be so hard that you don't feel like you can share it with anybody. You're wondering, am I ever going to get through this? You are a child of the King. He will not leave you there. He's going to bring you through. He's faithful. He started a good work in you. He's going to complete it. But you and I have to endure the trials. We have to endure the suffering. We have to endure the refining, the pruning. God is doing that to prepare us for glory. God is doing that so we'll be more fruitful, not less. That we'll be more effective, not less, but we've got to go through the fire. We've got to go through the pruning. If God is going to use you, I assure you, he's going to break you. And the more he's going to use you, the more broken you're going to be. It's just how it is. And so the Lord brought me through the hardest season of my life, and it ended right here in this church a few months back. And I was suicidal at 15, guys, so when I say it's the hardest season of my life, I'm saying something there. Um, but God brought us through and brought Emily through too. And, uh, so we're to persevere when the trials come, when the attacks, I'm always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, here's encouragement that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. It's just not in vain. A lot of times the devil will discourage us, and we think, I'm just not making a difference here. I'm just not making a difference in this situation. I've been pouring in and pouring in. I've been reaching out to my friend who doesn't know the Lord. I've been reaching out to my family member who doesn't yet know Christ. Or I'm showing the love of Christ to somebody who's in a hurting and broken place, and they don't seem to appreciate it at all. Why am I doing this? Is it making any difference at all? Am I just wasting my time? Sometimes I wonder that. You ever feel like, boy, I'm just spinning my wheels here. They're not hearing me. They're not listening. They're not receiving. And you wonder, should I just give up? Remember, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that whatever God calls you to do, He has a purpose in it. Whatever God brings you through, He has purpose in that. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. 
Your labor for the Lord is not in vain. It just isn't. God is not going to waste what he's doing in you and through you. And the devil will do whatever he can, especially when we're in God's will, to discourage us from continuing. So when the trials come, when the setbacks come, we want to say, well, this just must not be God's will. If it's God's will, why would it be so hard? If it's God's will, the people that I'm sharing the gospel with would receive. They'd receive Christ, not reject Him. And yet you're going to see a reward. You're going to see a reward for the Lord because His calling for you is to be faithful. His calling for me is to be faithful to Him. That's what matters, us being faithful. It's not how many people we individually reach for Christ. It's not how many great things we do for the kingdom and the power of the Spirit. It's being faithful to the Lord in what He calls you to do. Maybe it says a homeschooling mom. And you're feeling overwhelmed. What difference am I making pouring into my seven-year-old son who won't sit still? That's our family. And you wonder, what difference is this making now? The kids are fighting. They're at each other. Maybe they should just go to to school. And I'm not against kids going to school, Christian school, public school either. But I'm just saying, maybe you're homeschooling and you're just discouraged right now. And you're saying, boy, I'm not seeing the difference. But you're pouring into your kids. If you do that, God's going to reward that. If you're faithful in what he's called you to do, he will reward that. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Remember that. Remember that when the enemy tells you that it is. Remember that when the enemy tells you you're not making a difference. Remember that when you're wanting to compare yourself to somebody else who seems like they're being more fruitful than you are. Remember that. You're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. From Him you will receive your reward. He's the one that judges every work. He's the one that knows the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. He is the one who has called you, who's made you, who's formed you for a specific purpose to advance His kingdom. He knew exactly what he was doing when he made each one of us. And we need to be encouraged instead of comparing. We need to be encouraged instead of looking around and seeing the situation and trying to measure the results ourselves because we can't. Sometimes God does a work in somebody's heart. You'll never know it until you see him in glory. Sometimes God is using you when you're merciful, you're showing compassion, you're showing love, you're advancing the kingdom. You'll never know it until you see that person in glory. There are a lot of these things that only the Lord sees and only the Lord knows. So realize that your labor for the Lord is never in vain. So don't ever get discouraged. Don't ever give up. Don't ever listen to the voice of the enemy. Don't ever listen to some naysayer. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ and fulfill the calling that he has on your life. I want to go to a passage here that many of us know well. It's in Luke chapter 19. 
beginning with verse 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is entering in and passing through Jericho. He's on his way up to the cross. He's on his way to accomplish that which he came to do, to die on the cross for our sins. And as he's passing through Jericho, the people are gathering around him. He had just healed a blind man named Bartimaeus who called out to Jesus. And eventually Jesus called him to come and he, and he healed him and restored his sight. And the people had seen that miracle and they were continuing to follow him and they're glorifying the Lord. All the people are watching the power of Jesus as he's ministering. And so he enters and passes through Jericho and there's a man in that city who's despised by all the people. A man in that city who is the chief tax collector, who is the chief corrupt official, who was wealthy because he had taken from the people. He was wealthy because he was working for the Roman occupying forces. He was wealthy because he was dishonest in his dealings and he had accumulated great wealth. But this man was empty inside. For all his money, he had no peace. 
for all his money, there was a longing in his soul, and he had heard about Jesus. He had heard about Jesus of Nazareth. He'd heard about this one who'd worked miracles. He'd heard about this man who had taught as no one has ever taught. Speaking with authority the very words of God. He had heard about this man who had raised the dead. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see the Messiah. He wanted to see the son of David. But there was a great crowd. And because there was no love lost between the people of Jericho and Zacchaeus, no one was going to let this man in. And he was a very short man. So here he is. Wanting to see Jesus. And here the people are shutting him out. This man that they hated. This man that they despised. This man that stood for everything that they hated. A sellout, a traitor, heartless. Here this man was on the outside, longing to see Jesus. Let me stop there a second. There are so many people in our world that fit that description. There's so many people here in St. Charles County that fit that description. St. Louis County, in this region, we have hurting and broken people. You see that? You've seen that in the news, everything that happened in Ferguson. You see that with the protesting. You see that with people getting divorces. You see that with, with broken families. You see that with our prisons. You see they're hurting. They're broken. They're lost people that are longing for Jesus. They're people caught up in their sin, wondering any if there's any way out, and they're longing for the Son of God. Here Zacchaeus was, a man who was greatly despised, a man who had done wicked things, but he had a searching heart. And so he was seeking to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Zacchaeus was determined to see Jesus. He was not going to be dissuaded by the crowd. He wasn't going to be uh, held back by his, his past life. He was going to see Jesus. And so he ran ahead. He, he took no regard to what anybody thought. He did something that was shameless in his day. A grown man. Running. Unheard of. Unthinkable. Shameful to do. And yet this man ran. And then he did something even more shameful. He climbed up a sycamore fig tree. What a sight that must have been. You got this small man climbing up this tree and sitting on a branch to see Jesus. The people must have been laughing at him. Wondering, what's he doing up in that tree? Jesus won't receive him. This man's a sinner. This man's wicked. This man's corrupt from the core. If Jesus is the prophet... 
If Jesus is a rabbi, if Jesus is a man of God, he won't receive this man. And there Zacchaeus was, waiting. Waiting to see Jesus. Longing to see Jesus. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he stopped and he called him by name. Jesus looked him in the eyes. Something none of the people would have wanted to do. He looked him in the eyes and he called Zacchaeus to hurry down because he had to stay at his house that day. Of all the people Jesus could have visited, Jesus chose the one that no one wanted. And he called him down. And Zacchaeus, being touched by the love and grace of God, hurried down and received him joyfully. He was overjoyed that he had been accepted by Jesus. He was overjoyed that he had been received by Jesus. He was overjoyed that he had been honored by Jesus because Jesus said, I've got to stay at your house, Zacchaeus. And so this act of grace... This act of love, this act of mercy, this act of acceptance by Jesus transformed Zacchaeus. And he hurried down with great joy. But then you see what happens. And when the people saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Here they are. They see Jesus. They see his loving hospitality that everyone that comes to him, he will not turn away. And what do they do? Do they say, isn't it wonderful that Jesus would even receive Zacchaeus? There's hope for all of us. They should have been praising the Lord for His mercy because it's only because of His mercy and His compassion that we're not consumed. But instead of praising Jesus for being a loving, forgiving Savior, they're judging the Son of the living God who will judge every soul. They're judging His motives. They're judging His decision. They're saying, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. How could Jesus do that? Why would Jesus do that? If he's holy, why hang out with the unholy? Why hang out with the profane? Well, Jesus is a friend of sinners. And this man qualified because he was a sinner. You and I qualify because we have sinned. So Zacchaeus had a very different response. 
Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, and notice, without any prompting from Jesus, Jesus said nothing to him about this. Look at his response to the Lord's grace. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This man was now broke. He defrauded a lot of people of a, a lot of things. And he said half his goods he was given to the, the poor. His God had just changed. His God had been money. But when he encountered Jesus, all of that was nothing to him now, and he wanted to do what was right in the Lord's eyes. He was changed from the inside. And it showed with his actions. Immediately he did this because of the grace of God. That's the transforming power of the gospel. The gospel can save anyone who believes from the worst murderer, from the worst blasphemer, from the most wicked person to the most self-righteous person. The most prideful person, Jesus can save anyone. Let me stop here a moment. I want to share, may have shared this before, but it's worth sharing again if you've heard this. Um, one time I was ministering in uh, Colombia, South America. And uh, while ministering there, we had a, we had a, a, a leader's breakfast. And the breakfast was made up of two governors, the current governor of the state and the former governor of the state, and ten, ten other key political leaders in that state of, of uh, Colombia. And I, I, preached, I preached the gospel, and I actually preached from the passage with Jesus and the rich young ruler. And I told the people that, that they could have everything and not have Jesus, and they have nothing. And uh, when, I, when I called them to surrender, almost all the leaders opened their hearts to Christ, including the governor of the state. And the governor, shortly after that, uh, told me, I just gave my life to Christ. And that was after he told his people, we need to repent. We've forsaken God. He got up in humility. He said, we need to repent. We've forsaken God. We've turned away from the faith. We've turned away from God. We need to turn back to God. And he looked at me. He told me, I just gave my life to Christ. This man was transformed. The same day, later in the day, uh, my translator, Dave Wiegman, and I went to see a person who was dying of AIDS. He was in his late 20s. He had, he'd had a stroke. He was paralyzed and unable to speak. And his family had actually dropped him off to be a ward of the state. 
So the couple, the family that was taking care of him as he was dying was a Christian family. And they didn't even know his name. And he's near death. And, and Dave and I went to see him. And again, this morning, we, that same morning, we'd just seen the governor give his heart to Christ. Now, here we are in the afternoon with one of the least known people in the state of Columbia, that state in Tunha State. And, uh, and Dave's sharing the gospel with him. And this man, unable to speak, but visibly responding with his body, we could see him come into the kingdom. The most known man in that state and one of the least known men in that state came into the kingdom on the same day, the same way through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is mighty to save That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel to save a man like Zacchaeus. That's the power of the gospel to save somebody like me. That's the power of the gospel to save you. That's the power of the gospel to save those on the seventh floor that have committed murder. That's the power of the gospel to transform any heart and any life. It's the power of the gospel. And once the Lord touches you, you're forever changed. Zacchaeus was forever changed. And here's Jesus' response. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. He says, Today salvation has come to this house. This man has been saved. This man has been restored. This man has been brought into the family of God. He's a son of Abraham. And Jesus continues. And this is a key verse I want us to finish with. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus summed up His mission. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus sends you out to seek and to save the lost. Jesus sends you out to advance His kingdom. There are people around us that need the gospel. There are people here in O'Fallon that need the gospel. There are people here in this county that need the gospel. There are people here in this region that need the gospel. There are people here in this state that need the gospel. There are people here all throughout America that need the gospel. Most of the people in our nation are lost. Most of the people in our city are lost. Most of the people in your neighborhood likely are lost. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus' last command for His church, for His disciples, was to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus sent His disciples out to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus' last words were, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be My witnesses at Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus is calling us to rise up and to go out and to see that the fields are ripe for the harvest. The fields are ripe, but the workers are few. And a lot of the workers are sitting on the bench. They're sitting in the pews. They're sitting in the seats every Sunday. 
waiting for God to send someone else. And my challenge for you and my challenge for me today is to realize God can use any vessel that is surrendered to him. He is no respecter of persons. He will use anyone who is devoted to him. He will use anyone who surrendered to him, and he will empower you with his Holy Spirit. You don't have to do the work. You can't do the work. But Christ in you, the hope of glory, He will do the work. The Spirit of truth, the Spirit of the living God, He will do the work. He is the one doing the work. He's just looking for willing vessels that will go out and will proclaim His gospel and will advance His kingdom and will look beyond culture and will look beyond themselves and will look beyond their situation and say, I believe God can use anyone and I believe God's going to use me. So here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me out. Use me, Lord, wherever you call me, whatever the cost. The fields are ripe for harvest. But God's looking for workers. We are going to be going uh, in a couple months to Kenya, ministering there to the Maasai people. And I believe God is going to do an incredible work there. A lot of people have gone ministering where we're at. Uh, We're excited to go. We're going to Goma, Congo, which has been war-torn for about 20 years. I'd invite anybody that feels led to come. We're going to see the power of God. It's a nice intro. Just been through war. It's finally peaceful there now. Come on, join us. I think we're going to see half a million souls turn over their lives to the Lord. We're going to South Sudan, Lord willing, this fall. The harvest fields are ripe. The harvest fields are ripe here in St. Louis. God is doing a work here in this city. He's bringing together churches. He's bringing together fellowships. He's, he's stirring up a, a spirit, a desire for, for evangelism and discipleship. The kingdom of God is advancing here right now. God's doing something in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the attacks of the enemy, and he wants workers, soldiers to go out into his harvest field. Hannah was kneeling and praying between protesters and the police in Ferguson. Many of you have seen the video. We need warriors that will stand up or get on their knees and pray and advance the kingdom of God. God is calling you and he's calling me. The question is, will we answer the call? Will we obey? I want to pray for anyone who will consecrate themselves to the Lord and say, Lord, whatever the cost, whatever the call, I'm yours. If you're willing to surrender, and this is everything. This is not us, some things. This is all in. If you want to be all in for Christ or you are all in for Christ, I want you to come forward now and kneel, and I want to pray over you. Anyone that's all in or desires to be all in, say, Lord, I'm just surrendering. Not trying to force anybody. I'm certainly not concerned about how many people come forward. But, but if you're all in, and I ask that we get on our knees, I'm going to get on my knees too. I'm going to start praying. Anybody else that's led to come forward, come forward and pray with us. Father, I just thank you that you took 120 men 
and women in the upper room that were praying. And you used them to be world changers. When your spirit was poured out at Pentecost, I thank you that you use unschooled, ordinary men and women. I thank you, Lord, that you can use the youngest child to the oldest man or woman that's heart is yours, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that we have this treasure in jars of clay so that we know the surpassing greatness is of God and not of ourselves. And Lord, I thank you that we can surrender to you fully and completely. We can offer ourselves as living sacrifices. This is our spiritual service of worship. Lord, I pray that everyone here would surrender to you, that they would do your will, that they would hear your voice, that they would know the plans that you have for them. Clothe them, Lord, with power from on high. Fill them, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Give them boldness to proclaim the gospel and advance your kingdom everywhere that they go. Use them, Lord. Use them. Send them out, Lord. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Send them out into the harvest field. Send them out preaching Christ and Him crucified. Send them out showing the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the justice of God, the truth of God. Send them out, Lord Jesus. Send out this church and use this church to be a world-changing church. Send out missionaries in this church. Send out evangelists in this church. Send out pastors in this church. Send out pastors from this church. Send out teachers from this church. Oh, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for raising up an army. Thank you, Lord, for taking what we have and using it by your Holy Spirit's power to glorify your name, advance your kingdom, and draw the lost to the feet of Jesus in salvation. Use us, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We bless your name, and we give ourselves fully to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.